Good morning, my friends. Man, we have friends from everywhere. Mitch, all the way up from Chile. Welcome, you guys. How about... Uh, oh, my gosh. You got Nashville. Second chance. You came back and gave us a second chance. <laughs> Uh, we got people from, how many people were at the Bro-Am? Whoa, 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 whoa. Some of you are like, Bro-Am, Bro-Am. <laughs> Pro-Am, Bro-Am, what, what was that, you know? So that was a great day at the beach. Um, uh, any international people from the Bro-Am? England? Anybody else? Last service we had some Aussies that uh, we're visiting, and we, we also have some people from Idaho. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, we had a rich time. I, it's it's such such an example of the kind of thing you all do, how uh, um, the church has usually been pretty good about lowering down the... Uh, Sorry, English is my first language. <laughs> the drawbridge. And we write out and we have an evangelist that uh, evangelizes and then we all retreat in the castle. And the rest of the time we're shooting at culture and hating it and, you know, telling them how wrong they are. But uh, what I love about, sorry, I'm just making fun of ourselves as, as Christians, American Christians. But uh, what we've tried to do as a church is be a church without walls which builds relationship and friendship and finds some way to have a common good that we all believe in that helps people to understand the fingerprints of Jesus because it often takes a few steps before you get to a salvation message and the beautiful thing about Broam is you have uh, these wonderful charities I think six or seven vetted uh, charities of um, challenged youth in San Diego in all different ways that uh, funds are raised for. And then events, besides the surfing competition, there's this, uh, in the fabulous music, there's this moment where uh, challenged athletes are given an opportunity to go out into the ocean and uh, have some of the switchfoot boys, but also some of the other uh, surfers just ride on the back of their board and let them feel the spray of the ocean on their face for that incredible moment. And then to come up on stage and receive an award as well. Uh, because, you know, life isn't always fair. Uh, from birth, it's not fair. In my planet of fairness, I'm six foot seven. <laughs> and. Uh, I have a little darker skin that doesn't get so sunburned on Broam Day, and uh, I, uh, I sing like Aretha Franklin. <laughs> so life has not been fair, <laughs> and uh, so it's, it's, it's something we're going to talk about in the message today. Speaking of which, um, I want to say happy Juneteenth, my first time to be able to say that. And uh, I think it's wonderful to have a country that actually celebrates the end of slavery. You know, uh, my 
my ancestors on my grandfather's side come from Texas, the country of Texas. And uh, Texas was the last one to give in on that one, you know, and that's where uh, the treaty was signed. But uh, that's a great thing uh, of, of a nation saying, you know, uh, we're wrong on this one and uh, we're going to change course. So it's a great thing to be able to celebrate. Um, I, th I think I've, I've learned so much from my brothers and sisters, as you know, I've preached almost my entire career uh, in African-American churches, and I've learned so much from my brothers and sisters, uh, it, and not only in the black church, but also in persecuted churches that, that were, uh, they find themselves in the Chinese church, Iranian Iraq church, Indian church, uh, where life isn't fair, didn't start out fair. And I've learned so much of how do I do Christianity um, when I have to come through a different door of fair. So we're going to talk about that today. Are you uh, game for that? In uh, Psalm 37. So it, this message is called 10 Tips for when life is unfair. When I was a young dad, um, John and Tim played this card on me that I, of course, as a young dad, had never heard before. Uh, they're 20 months, 22 months apart. So you can imagine the competition, everything. And the, the beautiful thing is, by the time they're 40, they're done with their competition. <laughs> And iron sharpens iron, and it's going on and on and on and on and on. And the card that they would play constantly is, that's not fair. Now, some of us as parents, we have acquiesced to that, and we've tried to make it fair, right? Oh, no. Injustice? It's not fair? Oh, pray tell, what shall we do? But uh, I didn't go for that one at all. Right from the start, I said, oh, have you been to Planet Fairness? What is it like? I've never been there before. Tell me. And, and how did you come up with this concept of fairness? I mean, you, you never went to law school. Uh, you have not studied social justice. What, how did you arrive at this Incredible, which is, I think, by the way, an aside, uh, an incredible internal apologetic for the existence of God. Because that's a hard argument to say. It makes perfect sense in evolution that we would all arrive at the idea of fairness. Okay, I don't know. But going back to my message, so I would just say, you know what? Deal with it. <laughs> life is not fair <laughs> the sooner you realize it we're going to try to make it fair but the sooner you realize that it's never going to be perfectly fair the better off you're going to be and the question is how do we behave on planet unfairness as Christians because we do believe in fair we do believe in justice but it's never going to be perfectly there so how, while we're waiting, do we behave? So Lord, come and be with us as we study this passage. We thank you for your faithfulness to your word. And now make us 
uh, not darn right, but teachable as we study your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the problem that Psalm 37 is teaching us, and the interesting thing about a few psalms for you to know is that most psalms are talking to God and they're worshipful, but some of the psalms are horizontal, talking to people and giving wisdom. And this happens to be one of those. This is a wisdom psalm that has a tone very similar to the book of Proverbs. And the problem that the psalmist is wrestling with is why do good things happen to bad people? It's a little bit beyond the, the question that most of us have heard before. It's called the question of theodicy. Uh, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? Haven't you heard that? That once we have this myth in our minds that once I pass through the curtain of giving my heart and life to Jesus Christ, that the sky opens up, the, the, the heaven sings, and now everything is going to be right in my life because I'm a child of God and everything's going to be good and wonderful. And we get angry at God when we discover we're not in heaven, <laughs> that we're still on broken planet Earth. By the way, the Chinese church doesn't question, deal with that issue. Did you know? The Iranian church doesn't deal with that issue. All the churches that are dealing with persecution and suffering, they know it's part of the deal. It's actually in the Bible. Take up your cross and follow me. In this world, you will have trouble, persecution, but be of good cheer. So we don't understand that. We expect Christmas uh, every day to happen, and we're, we're frustrated but this psalm takes it one step beyond the theodicy question of why is there evil in the world. It asks the question, why is there good for bad people? They just had a good day too. They just got a pay raise too. I got COVID and they didn't. How is this, how is this working? So the psalmist is wrestling with this. And in this address, I want to draw your attention to a word that's used over and over about them. It could be translated wicked. It could be translated bad people, not so good people. It's talking about people who have not made the resolution to surrender their lives to God, but are living a life of selfishness, living for themselves. So look at verse 1. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. Verse 7. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Verse 35. I've seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxurious luxuriant native plant. Now, you just don't have to think of Putin. <laughs> Sorry, just, that was a little humor. Um, very little. <laughs> or to think of the, all the shenanigans that go on in our own government. 
where you just think, oh, ay, yeah, 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 yeah. You can just think in your own neighborhood. Like, how come they're, look at them. They're doing so well. <laughs> Their house is paid off. And I love Jesus. So what about this unfairness? And what he goes on to say is that God has the answer. There's another psalm that deals with this same issue. It's Psalm 73. And there's a verse there that I want to draw, you draw your attention to because I have felt this in my own life. My feet, in verse 2 of Psalm 73, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold. For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. If you were in Ukraine right now, how nuts is that? Your country is now destroyed. And Putin is fine. This feels so wrong. I almost slipped. I almost lost myself. I almost just waved my fist in God's face. But the issue that we're going to learn today is the, it's an issue of trust. You trusted Jesus for your salvation. Now will you trust him in this period of imperfection? The overlap of the ages where Jesus has come the first time, but he has not come the second time. And the world is still broken uh, we are still behind enemy lines waiting for the troops to arrive, heaven, angels. We're in this imperfect, broken state. Will we trust him while we wait? So tip number one, don't worry. Boom. Just stop it. How many of you would confess that you worry from time to time? Three of you. Yeah, like we worry all the time. We worry about not worrying. We worry about worrying. And the word here for worry, fret, actually is slow burn. Have <laughs> you ever noticed when you're burning something in the kitchen? It's just like uh, cooking it was great, but burning it is not great. And that's what worry does. So we as Christians, we have learned the art of synonyms. We have learned the art of learning different words for different things. Because we know as Christians, we should never worry. We know as Christians, we should never get angry. We know as Christians, we should never hate. So rather than change our behavior, we change our words. And our friends say, don't worry. And I say, I'm not worrying. I'm just concerned. <laughs> I'm not angry. I'm just feeling the intensity of an injustice. <laughs> and I don't hate. I just dislike that person intensely. We haven't changed our behavior. We've just changed our language, right? Because we don't want to be condemned by the Christian Gestapo that comes around <laughs> judging us. So what do we do? Well, 
Bobby McFerrin was right. Don't worry, be happy. As, as much as that song drove me nuts, uh, and, and as many millions of dollars he made on the song, Song of the Year, 1989, and the, the hit in, in 1988, uh, it's right. In verse 1, it says, don't fret because of those who are evil. Don't let this thing become a slow burn in your life. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 19, it says, don't worry about evil people. Let it go. But it's not fair. Either there is a God or there isn't a God. For me, I should be concerned about the things that I'm responsible for and the things I'm not responsible for. It's an overstep of boundaries for me to be concerned about that. There is a God, and it is not me. So I'm really frustrated that Tatis is not in the lineup. I have no say. That's, not, that's out of my control. It's not within my realm of uh, responsibility. So don't worry. Be happy. Jesus actually t- teaches a little bit on worry in Psalm, excuse me, in the uh, Sermon on the Mount. And when he says, don't worry, did you know that that's a command? All of these in the psalm, by the way, I chose these 10 because these are the 10 remedies for an unjust, fretting world. 10 remedies and their commands. Here's what's crazy about it. Christians treat these commands like extra credit. Well, yeah, yeah, I I should, but yeah, that's right. I, I probably should. It's a command. He's the Lord. Like, if, if, if. Your mom, when you're growing up, says, take out the trash. You say, that's a nice idea, mom. (laughs) In a perfect world, yes, but it's not going to happen because I was born lazy, and that's just who I am. (laughs) It's a command. So Jesus gives us not advice, but a command. Don't worry. And he gives us four reasons why we should not worry. And we still think, well, it's nice. Like, number one, you have a father. We, we listened to it today as we were seeing. You have a heavenly father who's better than all of the dads here today. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> but this platonic idea that we have of the perfect father comes from the perfect father, God. And he knows you. He knows what you need. He knows uh, his math is not so necessary. In my case, all the hairs on my head, he knows, are numbered. But he knows all the hairs on our head. And he cares about you more than the sparrow. All those things. So you have a father. That's reason number one. Reason number two is it doesn't work. He says you can't extend your life or your height by worrying. Have you tried it? It doesn't work. Number three, it's, the, it's what the pagans do. Yeah, ooh. Meaning the people who don't have a God, 
they have reason to worry. And number four, it's the future. How you doing with today, little buddy? Worry is always futuristic. Just today's got enough red signals in it. Today's stoplights. Today's got enough speed bumps. Today has enough challenges. Today. Don't worry. Just live today. So those are Jesus' reasons why we shouldn't worry. Now I need to move on because I would love to spend a lot of time on each one of these. And the children's ministry would be upset with me if I did. So number two, stop being angry. Stop stewing. Anger, I think, is different than worry. Look at verse 8. Refrain from anger, turn from wrath, and don't fret. It only leads to evil. James, the apostle, the half-brother of Jesus, actually tells us man's anger does not bring about the righteousness of God or the righteous life. A lot of times we... We tell ourselves, and this is another great Christianese thing that I hear all the time when someone's angry, and I say, you know, you need to kind of back off. This is what they tell me. Well, you know, Jesus was angry in the temple. Now, <laughs> you have to learn this art that I've learned over the years. Rather than resist people on those kind of things, go with it. So, with this one, I go with it. And I said, yeah, you go, Jesus. Go, Jesus. You're angry at, and you're going to knock over tables and money changers, Jesus. And you go, son of God. And obviously, we all think, ugh, I don't want to. Obviously, I'm not Jesus, and... I don't know that this issue is the same thing that Jesus was dealing with back then. But anger, it, it accomplishes something, but it doesn't accomplish the righteousness that God... A soft anger actually turns away anger, but it's not what we often want to do. Psalm 37, 1, or 37, 8. So refrain from anger. Back in the 80s, um, you know, psychology, like everything, goes through waves of interest and uh, emphases. And, and back in the 80s, it was this thing about get in touch with your anger. And there were certain therapists that actually had wiffle ball bats and pillows in their therapy room where they would just allow the, the, the client to... Take it out on uh, whoever, you know. This is going to be a safe context, and, and they'll be hitting a pillow. And I remember thinking, I don't think that's good, you know, to actually draw the face of someone <laughs> and just pew, um, Because it, it, it could be actually training and practice uh, for the future. So thankfully, uh, most therapists put that away. But we have this in our minds of, uh, you know, the dartboard uh, and the face on the dartboard. 
And it, it's, it's not good. It is good to find out what, why is this affecting me so much and what's a better way to deal with it. Number three, don't envy. So these are three things not to do. Don't envy. Don't be angry. Don't worry. Verse one, do not be anxious of those who do wrong. Proverbs 23, 17, do not let your heart envy sinners. Again, we don't envy, do we, as Christians? I just don't understand why God gave them that house and not me. I don't envy, but I don't know why my brother got married to a wonderful wife and I'm still looking. We, we say we don't envy, but that, that's envy. Envy is when I window shop other people's lives. I'm not buying. I'm just looking. But it's a way of actually, actually accusing God of not loving us as he made us to be and who we are and living our own lives. Number four, keep trusting. Look at verse three. Trust in the Lord. Look at verse five. Trust in him. He will do it. And I love verse six. He will make your righteousness reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Here's the deal. We don't understand that when we signed up to follow Christ, you're still listening, right? Okay. When we signed up to follow Christ, we're in it for the long game. When Jan and I go to the Padres game, I love to go to a game. Oh, I love it, love it, love it. And I stay for all nine innings. Because I'm a poor pastor. You know, other people say, well, I don't need it. I know they're already going to win. Fifth inning, go home. No! I want the hot dog. I want the peanuts. I want the, the, the ice cream. And I need to strip, spread it out through the whole game. You are Christians in it for the long game. Don't go home. Jesus wins in the end. Why are you quitting? Why are you deciding in the fifth inning that we lose? We're in it for the long game. People around us in the short game are winning. They don't love Jesus. They have not no plans to ever love Jesus, but they're prospering. Trust in the Lord. Trust is this beautiful thing that we call faith. And trust is where we let go of what we're trusting in and we trust in someone else named Jesus. There is no neutral when it comes to trust. Did you know that? When you gave your heart and life to Jesus, faith was not born that day. It was altered to trust in someone else. You were trusting in yourself. You were trusting in your wealth. You were trusting in your own ingenuity. You were trusting in a different religion and steps to get to heaven. You were trusting in something and you decided to trust in him. So when I trust in him, oh, I'm feeling it now. When I trust in him, I stop trusting in my worry. I stop trusting in my, 
anxiety and my anger and my envy. You're looking at me like you don't deal with any of this. Like, whoa, he's kind of having an experience up there. I don't know what he, I have no clue as to what he's talking about. Man, I, the last two years of the pandemic, I thought that American Christians, their hair was on fire. Like, you know, and we have to not only believe in the what about Jesus, but we have to believe in the how Jesus does it. That's the Jesus. There's no other Jesus to follow. And Jesus is not walking around screaming at people. Jesus is doing it Jesus style. And Jesus demands that we trust in him. It doesn't mean we don't respond responsibly for our areas of responsibility. But we're trusting in him all the way through in the long game because faith cures fretting. That'll tweet. Faith cures fretting. The psalmist in another place says some trust in chariots. That means some trust in military power. He says, I trust in the Lord. He also says in Psalm 49, some trust in their wealth. I trust in the Lord. Some, he says in Psalm 49, some trust in themselves. God helps those who help themselves. But our trust is in the Lord. He says, some trust in princes, leaders. Our trust is in the Lord. Jan's grandfather used to say all the time, God knows all about it. He does. So we trust in him. Lesson number five, keep on doing good. So what do we do? Do we just do nothing? No. We keep doing the right thing. Just keep on, keeping on. Some of you know the, the name Cal Ripken. Orioles. Yeah, Orioles. Do you know why he's famous? He showed up. He showed up consecutively for more games than any other baseball and no player, no one ever is going to break that record because they're not going to live that long. That's amazing. Do you know why we just celebrated the Jubilee of Queen Elizabeth? She showed up. <laughs> Did you listen? By the way, I'll tell you a story in a minute, but th there was a moment where the only thing I could watch on TV was the Jubilee of the Queen. And all these commentators, American and British, you know why she is one of the greatest queens of all time? Because she showed up, kept her mouth shut for 70 years. What is it about us just, we don't know, like, I'm not doing anything. I, all I do is I'm, I'm kind to my family, I'm kind to my neighbors, and then I go to work, and I'm, and I'm kind to the people at work, and I do this. 
Just keep doing that. And do it, 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 and do it. It's a good thing. Do good. Trust in the Lord, verse 3, and do good. Verse 27, turn from evil and do good. Next, bloom where you're planted. He says in verse 3, dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Ah. Now, I am grateful that I dwell in the land of North Coastal County, San Diego. <laughs> you know, every time I come back here, I just think, oh, my gosh. I'm grateful. This is a good land to dwell in, right? But the command to all believers around the world is dwell in the land. And enjoy the pasture that you're in. Dwell in the land with what you've been given. It's true of challenged athletes who, for most of them, their entire life, will experience the disability that they have. Is it possible that the Bible is for them? Is it possible that it's true for someone who can't sing, who is only 5'7", and is not the skin color I'd like to be? Is it possible? Every one of us has to come with, to the issue of contentment. Will I be content in the land that God has placed me in? The Bible says in James, or first, uh, yeah, in James, somewhere. <laughs> Actually, in 1 Timothy 6.6, 6, there it is. Godliness plus contentment equals great gain. Now, that is algebra. Godliness, add contentment, equals great gain. Christians, do you believe it? How many of you woke up today and said, I hope he teaches on contentment? <laughs> I have been wrestling and wrestling. I won't, I, I won't be content until someone teaches on contentment. I've told our staff that many times I want to offer a conference here and advertise it nationwide uh, that the conference is on contentment. Please come. How many think will come across the nation to study contentment for a week? I, you'd come? Well, maybe we'll do it. I, I, I think it's going to be somewhere between 3 and 13 people. But if I offer a conference on how to get what you want, when you want it, and, and call it Jesus, they'll come. Because it's just, it's just mainlining our American Christianity. So contentment is, is a hard thing. But here's what I've done in my own life to zero in on contentment is thankfulness. You start your day forcing yourself to tell God the 10 or 15 things you're thankful for and say it out loud. Ooh, it's so good for your soul. Ah, Lord, thank you that the sun came up today. It wasn't guaranteed. Uh, thank you for that beautiful bird 
outside my window. That's an amazing thing that we have birds flying through the air. Uh, thank you, God, for the greenery that's, you know, trees didn't have to be green, but they are. Thank you. And you just, and thank you, God, that Jen didn't leave me during the night. She's still here. And you, thank you that I have a roof over my, my head. And you begin to realize, wow, I have a lot. And it, it, it creates this contentment for me to just bloom. Another way to say it, for those of us that drive on the five every day, drive in your lane. <laughs> just drive in your lane. What is it about me? I just, i like, oh, this guy's a little bit slower than I want to be. And if I go... Lane, 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 lane. And then I pull off the off-ramp, and the cars that I was... They, there they are. So frustrating. Number seven, enjoy God. Look at this. This is good. Delight in Him. Don't focus on their stuff and what they're getting and succeed. Delight in him. Think of it. What is a house, a car, a job, a person compared to God? If you told anybody on an elevator, what have you been up to? Just, just enjoying God lately. I mean, they'll move over on the elevator <laughs> and give you all the space you need. Because you must be psychotic. How can you enjoy God when we're talking about baseball or we're talking about cars or houses? Or... Folks, it's God. Delight in him. Some of you know my story. You wrote about it. God saying to me that he, he enjoyed me. And we need to pay him the favor back. Signing up to follow Jesus is not... a just about heaven it's not just about fire insurance it's about a relationship that happens in the now enjoy him verse 4 says take delight in him and he will give you isn't this one of our favorite verses the desires of your heart verse 23 the Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Number eight, toss it up. This is prayer. Commit your path to God, to the Lord, and trust in him, and he will do it. Proverbs 16.3 says something similar. Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. So this is why I say toss it up. Our high schoolers, when I was a first in ministry as a 21-year-old, way too early and young to do anything, but nevertheless, we had 60 high schoolers that came from unchristian families and broken families, and we were like, you know, Peter Pan and Wendy in, in their lives. And I was trying to teach them about prayer. And I was telling them, that, that so often when we pray, we, we offer this thing to God, and then we clutch it, and we bring it back, and we don't let go of it. 
And when we pray, we're supposed to actually give it to God, turn our hands over to show that we don't have it anymore and that he has it. And they said, oh, you mean toss it up? I said, yeah, toss it up. Just... And so they, said, they started doing that, and they'd see each other on high school campus worrying. And what do high schoolers worry about? You know, he just broke up with me. Uh, I didn't get an A on my test. Uh, I didn't make the, the A team on the athletic. T- I mean, that's, that's the worry. Uh, and, but they would shout to each other, hey, toss it up. Let go. Give it, truly give it to God. Number nine, stop fidgeting. Be still. Be still before the Lord, verse 7, and wait patiently for him. Don't fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. This issue of justice, verse 10 of chapter of Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. You see, it's really a trust issue. Is he God or not? So some, of our, some in our family are the designated worriers, right? Where we actually don't worry because we know mom will. But for all of us, it's don't fidget. And for, for some of us, it's, it's an easy three-second decision. I'm just going to give it to God. Great. He's got it. Don't worry. Be happy. And for others of us, we have to pray it through. And for me, I, I know when I'm dealing with something, and it's usually interpersonal issues. Those are the ones that, I, yeah, they're still there. Ooh, they're still there. And I, and I have to pray it through. And it's really good for me to give it to God and then to be still and let him and believe, okay, he's got it. And wait on him. See if he has anything to say to me, uh, any reassurance, but just let go and let God and be still. So if you picture God as a surgeon, how many of you would say to your surgeon, you know, I want you to go easy on the medication. Don't really put me out because I like to move around. Uh, and I, you know, I just feel better. You know, you say, no, 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 knock me out. <laughs> I want to be still while you're doing surgery on me. So God's working on your life. Be still. Stop fidgeting. And finally, number 10, the word we hate, Wait. We hated it as two-year-olds, and we hate it now, right? Who do we hire? Who do we love to hire? Doers. We love to hire people who don't wait. We like active people, and we love that results-oriented, let's do, let's do, let's do. But there is a point where doing is actually getting in the way. Waiting is the proper response. For example, when I'm on a flight and I'm done, I want to land. <laughs> I'm glad the pilot waits for the runway. There's a lot of things in life like that. 
Jan and I, we, were, we wanted to get married. We were 21. We just graduated two weeks ago from college. Let's do this thing. Let's go. Now we look back at it and say, wow. I think if we waited a couple months, I think we could have milked our parents for maybe a trip to Europe or, or something, you know, and just, you know, said, hey, we'll be good, sleep in separate rooms, and we just, don't you love us, mom and dad? But we couldn't wait. Waiting is not a bad thing. The fermentation of wine, it's a good thing. Waiting for a song to come to fruition and be its best form of a song. It's a good thing. Waiting, in fact, is, is crucial in almost every area of life. Not picking a fruit too soon, but waiting for it to ripe. We have that expression in our society, wait for it, wait for it. But waiting is not static. Waiting is active, I think, where I engage and I say, no, I'm intentionally waiting. I'm intentionally letting this fruit ripen because I'm in it for the long game. I'm waiting for the promised land. And whatever we're waiting for, let's face it, it doesn't compare to Jesus, does it? So once I begin to say, no, I'm actually waiting for the face of God. I'm waiting for the face of Jesus, the second coming. Everything will be put right. That's what I'm waiting for. And now what were we talking about? Oh, yeah. And it puts everything in perspective. Jesus quoted this verse in the Beatitudes. And he said, blessed are the meek. It comes from this psalm, for they will inherit the earth. So what are you waiting for? We want, we want the whole enchilada. We want to inherit the earth. <laughs> That's what I'm waiting for. So let me tell you a story and pick on myself, because um, I'm learning this just like you. So Jan and I had a bucket list thing of uh, going to the Galapagos Islands for 25 years, saving our money. Someday we're going to go to the Galapagos Islands. Some of you know about the Galapagos Islands, off 600 miles off the shore of Ecuador. Uh, it's on the equator, but has a climate like San Diego, and the waters are about the same temperature. Of San You'd think it would be roasting, but they have these strange animals. Uh, you know, by the way, Darwin was only there three weeks. <laughs> um, and I, so, I mean, just putting everything in perspective, I was there half the amount of time that Darwin was there, and I'm not going to write a book on it. But um, <laughs> anyway, there's amazing things. You know, tortoises that are huge, uh, blue-footed boobies that uh, dance like this to show how cool their feet are so their mate will be enticed to want to marry them. Albatross that fly a thousand miles don't fish around where they are. They fly a thousand miles away, but they live there. Talk about a commute. <laughs> and then there's these marine iguanas that are almost three feet long that only eat uh, algae off the bottom of the ocean. 
and I had to have my uh, GoPro uh, filming them down there like little dragons eating off the bottom of the, and then filming them above me swimming. Uh, an amazing place. So we finally got to go. We, we had tried to go four years ago, but we got a notice a week before we were supposed to leave. Uh, your ship has run aground. Sorry. So the trip is canceled. But by the way, we're going to give you your money back and a free trip. I know, that's my life, Mr. Magoo. <laughs> so we tried two more times during the pandemic and it got canceled. And so finally we went and we didn't want anyone to ruin it. So we were staying away from people. Didn't want to get COVID from anybody because you, you had to test twice to fly into Quito and then to fly to the, the island. So finally we're there, we went through it and had a fabulous time. And flying back into Quito, which is at 10,000 feet elevation to fly back uh, to the States, Jan tested positive for COVID, as did several other couples on the ship. Oy vey. So I don't know if you've ever been locked up in a, a hotel room in another country without anything to read, with 800 stations that are in Spanish, <laughs> except for Jubilee for the Queen. <laughs> Thank God for BBC. Nothing to, no laptop, all these thoughts I want to put down. I don't know how many hours you're awake. For me, it's 17 hours a day. <laughs> Be still. <laughs> Wait. Don't worry. Be happy. <laughs> All right. That was nine minutes. <laughs> so. <laughs> Need anything in there, honey? You okay? Yep. All right. Pray, thank him. I, I don't know how the monks do it. You know, I think they have a garden to work on. <laughs> Cleaning the room. All right, it's clean again. <laughs> and so I felt like God was teaching me something, and he was teaching me to become a Galapagos tortoise. That even though I'm a human, I believe... I, behave like I'm a hummingbird and I'm not a hummingbird I'm a human and humans are slower than hummingbirds you know in baseball they talk about seeing the ball really clearly they see the ball slow down and that's why they hit it so well they don't see it speed up they see the seams on the ball. And we, in our life, we behave like we're hummingbirds. You are not important. Stop it. You know, in perspective, yeah, you're important. You're the image of God. And yeah, you're going to conquer the world. I get it. But in perspective, you are not God. So on day three of 17 hours a day, I call the medical person. And I say, you know what? I'm feeling pretty good. I think Jan's feeling, we want to test again. Because uh, I'm an American. <laughs> and uh, 
she says, well, you understand that the, the Ecuadorian law is that you have to be quarantined for five days once you test positive. I said, yeah, but you don't know what stage of the disease she was in when she tested, right? And she could be, and I think the laws in America just changed. And they said, well, the laws in keto did not change. And I said, I want to see my ambassador. <laughs> see, I'm the guy you should hire, you know? And nothing. And I just thought, I thought of the verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. So picture you're a lamb and the foot is on you. It doesn't say he allows you, it makes you <laughs> lie down in green pastures. <laughs> Folks, this is a lesson. This is a lesson for the church to learn for this next new phase of what the church looks like coming out of the pandemic. It should be a different church. It should be a more beautiful church. It should be a church that's trusting and waiting on him. And I invite you to join me on that journey. By the way, the next two days became, I would cry if I missed the next two days. The things God taught me that I was able to write down and and I wouldn't give it up for anything, but it took me three days to get to uh, the fourth day. Would you stand with me? By the way, the message was long, but thank you for waiting. <laughs> thank you for being patient, for being still. So may this good father, this good, good father, he not only wants your soul in heaven, he wants you. Yeah, that's the story. He wants you. In this imperfect world, may this good father, in this unjust world, may your good, good father, in a world where good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, you have a father. And may you and I enter into this trust, let go relationship where we allow him to be dad in our lives. Can I get an amen? amen? May this God be with you. If you need prayer for anything, we have people up here that would love to love to love to pray for you. But may you be that person that lets go. And lets God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. God bless you guys.